I think you noticed something this morning when you came into church. When you drove to church this morning, it is starting to look like fall. Matter of fact, on the calendar, it's only two days away. So we could have a morning time, and we could say in two days it's officially over summer. But um, it is starting to look like fall. Some of the leaves are changing. Matter of fact, have you noticed that all of a sudden, like the last two days, a couple of maple trees just popped, you know, starting to turn, starting to turn red. The leaves are turning, and, and um, the corn is high in the fields. Praise the Lord, Dave, right? The corn is high in the fields. The soybeans are starting to turn that yellowish color um, from, from green to yellow. And flocks of geese, if you're listening, wake up in the morning, hear the honking. Flocks of geese that are smarter than us, they know to get out of Dodge before it gets cold. They're flying south. They're saying, I'm heading to Florida or Louisiana, someplace warm. It's starting to look and feel like fall. And fall, especially in an agricultural area like we live in, means something. It means it's harvest time. You know, all of the farmers in our area, and, you know, if you live just south of here, you might not realize just how many, how much of agriculture is part of our, of our economy around here, how much it is. But take a drive today north and just see, you just run the line here, just see how much of an agricultural area. And in an agricultural area like this, it's harvest time and all the work the farmers did all year round of prepping the ground, of plowing, of tilling, of seeding, of spraying, all the things they did, they did it for a reason. They didn't do it because they just like driving tractors. They did it because they want something out of it. They want a harvest. They want to take them big combines and, and harvest the corn and harvest the soybeans. And maybe on a smaller scale, you've planted a garden. And it's, it's getting to be harvest time that your pumpkins are starting to turn orange and your squash are developing and, and your tomato plants have been, have been full of red tomatoes instead of green ones. It seems like around here, a lot of years, it never seemed to have enough weather. They actually get to be nice red ones. It's harvest time. It's a time when your neighbors bring you bags of zucchini. <laughs> what is a zucchini, and what do you do with it anyways? Zucchini, I think, is a soybean of the, of the world, of, of, a, of an average gardener. You can just put anything on zucchini and make it into anything, you know. So they make zucchini lasagna and zucchini whatever, you know. And I don't know if anybody just eats zucchini. Zucchini bread, that's good. Zucchini bread, but you've got to add stuff to it. It doesn't taste like anything. And so does anybody just eat sliced zucchini? Oh, my goodness. All kinds of people eat sliced zucchini. I, I humbly ask for your forgiveness. I didn't, I didn't know anybody would actually eat a sliced zucchini. But it's that time of the year. It's harvest time when you get to eat sliced zucchini out of your garden. But I, got to, I have to admit, I have been waiting for this harvest time. This year, not just because it is my favorite time of the year, which it is. I love fall. It's my favorite time of the year. But I've been waiting for this time because I have felt for, for at least six months compelled by the Holy Spirit to this fall time to spend some time talking to you and teaching you about the most important harvest of all, the harvest of helping people who don't know Jesus come to meet him as Savior and Lord and follow his leadership. That I just felt compelled to spend some weeks talking during the harvest time. And I felt like the Lord said, wait till harvest. It's the natural time to talk about it and talk about a harvest of souls. So we're going to be spending some time talking about what should be the right arm of our church. I think we got P 
Pete in there, right? Portview Pete. The right arm of Portview Pete. This is our, our graphic we use to remind us of the five purposes that God says the church should be actively engaged in all the time. Matter of fact, we made it in a person form so that if one of them's not functioning, we look at it and we say, oh, that poor body, it's missing its arm or it's missing its leg or its head is gone. And we say, that's not right and it's not healthy. And so for, for the church, the right arm, the red arm, the right arm of our church is influence, influencing seekers, those people who are looking for Jesus, influencing seekers to find Jesus. In other words, the right arm is all about harvest. And when we think about the five primary purposes God designed his church to fulfill, influencing seekers to find Jesus in God's book is the right arm of the church. It's that vital. Now, most of us in here are right-handed. Some of you are wrong-handed. Um, I can say that. One of my boys is wrong-handed. Are you wrong-handed? Okay, Pastor Mitch is wrong-handed. Right-handed, wrong-handed. Uh, my dad is wrong-handed. One thing I find about, about left-handed people, they tend to be able to do things both ways. I really think they're more, they're more capable is what I honestly believe, but I won't say that out loud. But I really do think they're more capable. But when we try to understand most people are right-handed, and so it's no coincidence that when we made a graphic to show what we must be involved in, that the right hand, the right arm of the church, the vital arm of the church, is influencing seekers to find Jesus. It is so important, this right arm, that if we don't do this, the work of the right hand, the right arm, much of the rest of what we are supposed to do is absolutely pointless. There's no sense in showing up. Before we can mentor people, which is the right leg, mentor people towards Christ-like living, in other words, we say disciple, it's a discipleship for us. Before we can mentor people towards Christ-like living, guess what? They need to be saved. They need to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. One of the problems in the church world today is we try to mentor all kinds of people towards Christ-like living, but they never come to, they never come to salvation through Christ first. When I was a missionary, um, I preached at about 150 churches in this surrounding area to, uh, to itinerate and raise money for a budget. And almost every single service I went to, I'd make a simple gospel presentation. I'd say, who wants to accept Jesus? And literally almost 100% of the time, there may have been an exception, um, two or three people would raise their hands and I'd pray with them to receive Christ. And I'd tell the pastor, maybe I've told you this before, I'd say, you know, the lady in the red shirt, the guy in the blue suit, and he'd go, that's impossible. They've been coming to our church for three years. And I'll say, well, you ever give them a chance to come to Jesus? Well, we don't do it like that around here. I usually say, try to kindly, because I needed their support. Um, you know what? Well, maybe you ought to change what you do around here, because they just came to Christ. Before you can do a lot of the other things in the church world, you have to influence. You, can't really, you have to influence seekers to find Christ. You need to harvest the souls. You can't really worship God if you don't know him as Savior and Lord. And so this is the right arm of our church. And church... It's fall time. It's harvest time. In an agricultural world, we understand that fall is time to bring in, the, bring in the harvest. And I want to tell you something. In God's world, in the spiritual realm, right now, not six months, right now, it's God's plan for it to be harvest time. And I've come to believe something about, about many of you as Christians in general, but about you as we've spent five and a half years together. You really do care about the spiritual harvest. As a church, we really do care. 
We really do care about the eternity of our family and our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. I really believe that as I talk to you, I hear it from you. And you want to be involved in the harvest. You want to bring people into Christ. You want to be used by God to bring people into the family of God. So over the next couple of weeks, I want to help you be better at that. I want to give you what I would call is some harvesting tools. Now understand, no farmer would have a, a 400-acre field of corn and say, I'm going to go harvest that with my five-gallon pail and my pocket knife. How long would that take? That's the way they used to harvest stuff, you know, and a, a bucket and a, and a knife because they didn't have tractors. That, you know, back when this country was settled, that's the way it was done. But you don't harvest a 500-acre field of, of corn with a, with a five-gallon pail and a pocket knife. It doesn't work. We need the right tools. And so what I want to try to help you do over the next number of weeks is actually put some tools in your toolboxes so that you can be better at harvesting. And so let's today start by looking at a harvest story from God's Word. Grab your Bibles. You got your Bibles with you? What I say doesn't matter. What God's Word says matters, right? Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to read a pretty lengthy section of Scripture to start off with this morning. John chapter 4. And you're going to maybe look at this story a little different than you've looked at it before. You've never maybe thought of it before as a harvest story, but it's really what it is. And I think we're going to explain that that's really what it's intended to show. It's intended to show some things about harvesting lost people. So you're there in John chapter 4? We're going to start in verse... Let's, let's, let's start in verse 5. So, this is what it says. So he, he is who? Is capital H there? It's who? Jesus. So Jesus came to a city of Samaria near Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being weary from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked me, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all, way, all the way here to draw. And he said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, this you have said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and your people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, 
Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the man, come see the man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out to the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, There are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others had labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city many of the Samaritans believed in him, Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his words. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Now I know we just read a huge portion of scripture, almost the entire chapter, but I needed to read the whole thing and put the whole thing in context for you today so that you would see that this is a harvest story, that Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah, to be the Savior to people in that Samaritan city, and it says many of them believed in him that many of them found eternal life. They found that living water that he had talked to the lady about and that he had brought them forgiveness and salvation into their lives. And they'd been born again and become followers of God and children of God. During those two days that Jesus spent with them, there was a great harvest of souls. It says, matter of fact, many people came to know Jesus as Savior. So this, friends, is a great place for us to start learning about how we can be more effective harvesters. And the first thing, I want to point out two things today, but the first thing is this. The first thing that I want to point out from the harvest story is not something someone can do. So it's not a, when I said I'm going to give you tools over the next couple of weeks, today is going to be more about our heart. And the following weeks is going to be about things we can do, tools in our toolbox. So the first thing I want to point out is not something that you or I can do, but something rather that somebody, something that we need to believe if we're ever going to be effectively used by God in the harvest field. And it's what this whole story we just read is really about. And this is what we have to believe if we're ever going to be effective at reaching lost people. And it's this, simple statement. 
all, say all with me, all. All people matter to God. All people matter to God. You see, before a person will ever be greatly used to lead others to Christ, they must understand and believe that all people matter to God. Rich and poor, white and black, and any other shade in the middle, Hispanic, Republican, Democrat, Tea Party, squeaky clean North Shore Nancy, who seems in a drive in her Lexus, she's got everything put together, as well as the pants-falling-off-rap-loving inner-city youth. All people, everyone matter to God. And I truly believe that that is the main point Jesus was making during his encounter with this Samaritan woman and those from her city. You see, Jesus does something that no good Jewish man would do. He talks with and spends days hanging out with and ministering to his nation's enemies, the Samaritans, And his interaction with the Samaritans began by starting a conversation with a woman. Not only a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman, what no Jewish man would ever do. And not only did he start with a a conversation with a Samaritan woman, but with a woman that if she lived among us today, she would be looked down upon, even in our culture, because as she explained, oh, I've had five husbands and now I'm living with another guy. But in Jesus' day, talking to her, would have even been worse than today. She was in their society absolutely the bottom of the rung, the bottom of society. And what Jesus did by striking up a conversation with an openly sinful Samaritan woman and then hangs out with her friends was absolutely scandalous in that day. And not only was it scandalous, it was also incredibly purposeful. He did it on purpose. Jesus was revealing his heart. He was saying this, all people matter to God. That's the part he was trying to make. All people are created in the image of God and are intended for greatness. God never planned for anybody to not be great. He put the image of God within us and sin has marred it and sin holds it back. But God wants people to be restored and come into a relationship with him and have that image begin to be restored. And he says all people matter because there's a destiny for every single person. All people matter. All people are someone's daughter or son. They're precious gifts. They matter to God and they matter to people. They should matter to us. We know from Scripture that Jesus left the glory of heaven to dwell in the dust of this earth, and then to suffer the worst kind of death for a reason, all to redeem mankind from the death sentence that's been pronounced upon them because of sin in the world. And he did it all. Why would he have left heaven, come to earth, so that we could come in a relationship with him and have forgiveness of sins like he offered to the lady at the well, said, I can give you eternal life. I give you living water, something that outlasts this world and takes you into eternity. Why would he all do all that? Why would he leave the Trinity? And give up some of that, 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 that privilege of godness for a period of time. He said he, he emptied himself. Why would he do that? One reason and one reason only. Because all people matter to God. When you want to understand God the Father, you look at Jesus the Son. Because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, the Scripture says. And so when you see Jesus going to the worst of the worst, you understand that God's heart is for all people. The best and the worst. Because in God's eyes, there is no best and worst. All people matter to God. You see, friends, 
before we ever spend one minute talking about tools for harvest. We need to park right here and ask ourselves if we believe that all people matter to God. And do, in our hearts, if we're honest, can we say, all people matter to us. Do we honestly believe that the pants falling off, rap-loving, inner-city youth matters to God? Do we really believe that? Or do we watch the news at night and go, yeah, another one got shot by another one of them. And we say, let it up to them. Glad I don't live 25 miles south of here. Is that what we say? Do they matter to us? Do we honestly believe that the ex-daughter-in-law or the ex-spouse or that cursing, vile neighbor or coworker that you just would rather walk away and never see, do we honestly believe that that person matters to God? Do we honestly believe that the members of ISIS matter to God? Do we honestly believe that? And do they matter to you? Friends, this is the main point that Jesus wants to bore into our souls here. It's, what he's, it's the main thing he's trying to say. He's not trying to teach techniques for evangelism. The main thing he's trying to bore into our souls here is, yes, they do matter. All people matter to God. The scandalous Samaritan woman with five exes and a living boyfriend and that person or those people that you really believe, and I at times, we all really believe, are somehow outside of God's and your concern because we think they're just too far gone or they're just too bad. Friends, here's the truth from God's Word. We are all too bad and too far gone. All of us, according to the Bible, have sinned and fall short of God's glory. I don't care how long you've been serving God. We're all in the same boat. All of us need a Savior just as much as everyone else on this planet does. That's why God says something that struck me as a pretty new believer that just that took me back because I was going gung-ho for God. And I read in the scripture and it says, Mark, even your righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. And I realized that no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't impress God. I needed to impress Him. I needed to receive Him to come into my life like this lady, this Samaritan lady did, and have her sins forgiven. All of us need a Savior just as much as anyone else does. Listen, until we actually believe this, we will never be effective at reaching lost people. And there's a reason, couple reasons for it. The first reason why we'll never be effective at reaching lost people is because you won't have a heart that compels you to action. If you don't believe this, you won't have a heart that compels you to action. Somehow we can conclude that people who are lost somehow deserve it because of who they are or what they have done. But then we look in the mirror and we see ourselves and we say, somehow I am better or more deserving because of who I am or what I have done. And so what we do is we rest in our salvation and we look down on those who don't know Jesus yet because they're just too bad and we remain unmoved. It's, it, it happens. The second reason you will never be effective without believing this you won't be effective is because you will miss the harvest opportunities that God brings to you. This is what happens. You will miss the harvest opportunities that God brings to you. I have found that very often the people God uses me to help come to know Jesus, and I've been, I'm so privileged, but have been just a lot of them over the years. I've had the privilege of being a, a key component in bringing them to faith. 
God does it all, and he uses the whole church, but it's just been wonderful. But I found something as I, I sat and I prepared this, and I look back across the, the time span of my life walking with Jesus for 30 years, and I realized that most of the people that God used, has used me to reach are people that I don't think he should have used me to reach. That if I were God, I would have used me to reach somebody else that's generally more like me, but instead he usually uses you to reach people that are a lot different than you. He often does that. The people that he'll use you to reach are very often different than you. It's often a big stretch for you because their lifestyle or their beliefs are so contrary to yours. And if we didn't really believe that people, all people mattered to God, we wouldn't even take time to invest our lives into them when we feel the prompting of the Spirit to say to us we ought to be involved in their situation. We just say, well, God, you're just so much different. You know, I need somebody more like me. I remember one time. Suzanne and I were made aware of a person living near us who was in a situation of a very great need. And we knew a little bit about this person and honestly wanted no part in getting involved in their messy situation. We had just come through a time of being really entangled in a related mess and we wanted nothing to do with it. We talked about it. We had nothing to do with it. But we knew something. This little voice. And we knew God was making us aware of the situation. We knew that small voice of the Holy Spirit was speaking to us about the situation. So we did something. And honestly, say this, reluctantly and begrudgingly, but with a smile, fake smile painted on our face, we got involved. We in, in, initiated a relationship. We prayed often. We gave. We helped. We did what we could. And in time, that person and a number of that person's family members came to know Jesus. And it was a great harvest. It was a great harvest that's still reaping a harvest. Well, here's the point. Without really believing that all people matter to God, we never would have gotten involved in that situation. We'd have said, nah. We would have looked right over it. God would have been trying to use us to get involved in someone's life who was really a lot different. And we'd have said, oh, God, you know, I'm not even really hearing that. We would have missed the opportunity that God was bringing into our lives. And let me share something with you, friends. I don't care what you accomplish in business. I don't care how much money you put in your bank account. I don't care how, how people praise you and put you in high positions in this world. Nothing will match the feeling you have in your soul when God uses you as a key player to lead somebody else into a life of eternity with Jesus. Nothing. Nothing will match it. Nothing will give you the energy. Nothing will give you the thrill. Nothing will give you the incredible sense of, of just awesome love for God and, and understanding your life has purpose than being a key player and seeing somebody else come to know faith in Jesus Christ and knowing that now they're going to spend their eternity with God. Nothing else will do it. And if we didn't believe all people mattered to God, we oftentimes would miss the opportunity that, that God brings right in front of us. And friends, that's Jesus' point of the entire story that we read. All people matter to God. And that's what compels us to reach out. That's what compels us to listen to that voice that comes into our head that you say, I don't want to get involved, God. Don't you understand I'm busy? He laughs and he says, they matter to me. It's more important. Friends, it's the whole reason we started a Spanish service today. 
It's the whole reason we've invested three years in reaching a people group that, that when we sat at one of the board, first board meeting, when I talked about having, about having a Spanish ministry, one of our board members who'd been around the area for a long time was 100% in favor, but he says, you understand if you do that, there's a lot of people in this community who are not going to be happy with you as a church. They don't want, they don't want us, the Spanish people accepted in our community. And we said, as a group, but all people matter to God. That's why we launch up. It's why we gave up worship team members. When we're looking at next Sunday, Suzanne's going, man, this person's going and that person's going, I don't even know how we can do worship. Because now people are over in the other room. It's worth it. Because all people matter to God. Now, let's move on. There's something else that I want us to see about harvest time from this text. First thing is all people matter to God. Second thing is this, that Jesus entrusts his followers to bring in the harvest. Do something. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a harvester. You're a harvester. That's not my plan. That's God's plan. God entrusts his followers to bring in the harvest. It takes people to bring in a harvest. Look at verse 38 of the text we read. Jesus is talking to his followers and he says this, I sent you to reap. You know what reaping is? Some of you, you know what reaping is? Reaping is bringing in the harvest. Reaping would be gathering in the harvest. That would be just, so he's saying, I sent you to bring in the harvest. In this harvest story, Jesus explains a few things about the spiritual harvest of souls on earth. Follow my thinking here. First he says, there is a harvest present today, verse 35. Do not say there are yet many, there are yet four months and then comes a harvest. Say no, Jesus is saying the harvest time is now. You can't be put off. There's no saying that you may have heard, uh, you got to make hay when the sun shines. It's saying that when you got to harvest the crops, you got to harvest the crops. No matter what else, you got you to do it because it's time. Jesus is saying, listen, it's present It's right now. It can't be put off. It's harvest time. Then he says this. The harvest is not only present, but it's plentiful. Look at verse 35. Behold, I say to you, now Jesus is looking with spiritual eyes across the landscape of humanity. He says this, verse 35. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. In other words, the crop is ripe. The crop is ready. Think of of a cotton field. Have you ever seen a cotton field? with white cotton as far as the eye can see. Jesus is saying spiritually, with spiritual eyes, look on the field, lift up your eyes. In other words, he's saying, stop doing what you're doing and look up and see the harvest is plentiful. Jesus is saying there's a huge harvest around us. The seeds have been planted and have grown and developed. And if you will look across the horizon, you see that there are a lot of people that need to be brought in to the kingdom of God that need to be harvested. And then, He says what I want you to focus on. Verse 38, what we just said first. And I sent you to reap. Jesus entrusts his followers, his followers, to bring in the harvest. And here is what I believe Jesus truly wants to communicate to us. He's saying, church, there is a plentiful and a present harvest right in front of you right now. And you need to stop what you're doing and look up 
and see what is right in front of your nose. He's saying, roll up your sleeves and get involved in bringing in a harvest. It's the greatest thing you can use your energy for in your entire life. It's the only reason he leaves us on earth after we get saved is so that we can bring in a harvest. And he says, using very strong language, I sent you to reap. Friends, it's not a suggestion. It's an order. It's an imperative. Do it. He didn't say, if you feel like it, go reap some souls. He says, I sent you to reap. Now here's the question that rises up in my heart, my mind. Why is he so strong about this? Well, I think there's a right answer. I think there's only one right answer, really. And it's this. Because heaven and hell are real. That's why he's so strong about this. In verse 36, Jesus says that the reapers are gathering fruit for eternal life. He's thinking about eternal matters here, heaven and hell. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, looks beyond the you know, 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years that each of his people that he loves has on earth, and he sees eternity. And he knows what the future holds, eternal life or eternal death. And it's no trivial matter to him, nor should it be a trivial matter to any one of us. Heaven and hell are very real places, and we must remember that in addition to people finding real life in Jesus, which has got this immediate blessing and this joy and this greatness that comes from finding Jesus, also there's an eternal blessing in coming to Christ, and an avoidance of eternal destruction. And somehow in our current culture, even in our current church world culture, it has become taboo to mention or believe in a very real hell anymore. And I don't understand it if we're people of the Bible. You know, we make movies like this from Hollywood I'm not saying it's a good or a bad movie. I didn't see it. But we make a movie, Heaven is for Real. And it is. But we don't want to believe that also hell is for real. Church, hell is for real. And people who don't have their sins forgiven in Jesus are headed there. And that brings no joy to anybody. It's sobering. It's real and it's sad. But that's why Jesus is so strong to his followers. And he looks at his followers. He looks me in the eye and he says, I sent you to reap. In other words, I sent you to rescue people from eternal destruction. One day Jesus told a parable where he expressed this very clearly. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And the reason I want you to, other than me just saying it's real, I want you to see that it's real, is because you really are living in a culture where people don't believe this anymore. I was with a pastor friend of mine within the last six months who is a pastor. I won't do anything to try to allude to it other than to say he's a pastor of a fine church in this community and a friend of mine. And in conversation, he flat out said, Mark, I don't believe in hell. And he said, and if I told my congregation, half of them would leave next week, so I don't tell them what I believe. And I said, but do you read the Bible? He said, well, I just can't, it doesn't make, it just can't be possible. It doesn't jive. And I'm saying, do you read the Bible? Well, this is what Jesus had to say. Matthew chapter 13. 
Let's start in verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, harvest. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tares, which is like a weed, among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us to then go and to gather them up? But he said, No, for a while you are are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, if somebody stopped right there and they'd say, well, you know what, it's not really saying anything very clear and what's it mean he's going to bundle them up and burn them and you see you're, you're, you're jumping the gun to try to make that seem like a hell or eternal destruction, but friends, we have something more than that. Slide over to verse 36. Jesus says, I'll explain to you what I just said. In verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went to the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world, and as for the good seeds, these are the sons of the kingdom. In other words, people who have come into salvation through Jesus. And the tares or the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, which is Jesus, will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all the stumbling blocks. He said, out of His kingdom. They're growing in the kingdom. It looks like they're part of the kingdom. He will gather out of His kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Friends, there is nothing ambiguous about the reality of heaven and hell to Jesus. I don't care what current modern theology is saying. I don't care if if other pastors are saying, but it just doesn't seem that a loving God could create eternal destruction. And I would say, you're right, because He didn't ever make it for mankind. Mankind chose to sin, and He said, if you sin, you will die. It wasn't God's plan for mankind, but they chose to reject His way and follow Satan's way. And Jesus, to Him, there is nothing ambiguous about the reality of heaven and nothing ambiguous about the reality of hell. So the movie is right. Heaven is for real. But they need to make another movie. Hell is also for real. Jesus clearly says they are both real. And the sons of the evil one, he says, that's what he calls them, will go to eternal destruction. Friends, bringing in the harvest. The reason Jesus would be very firm and say, I send you to reap. It's about rescuing people from destruction. That's why Jesus is so serious about it. 
we like to make everything in Christianity so positive and fun and good, and it is. It's wonderful. I would never not want to be a believer in Jesus and follow him. It's the most blessed life. I can't tell you how many times a week Suzanne or I will look at each other and say, we are so incredibly blessed, it's almost, it's almost scandalous. Our life is so good. We love life so much. We love each other. We love our kids. We love our church. We love our Lord. It's, it's just wonderful being a believer in Jesus Christ. It's great. But the reality is, friends, there's a lot of people who don't know that. And Jesus looks at us and he says, I'm glad you're happy, Larson. But now go help some people who are headed to destruction. I'm sending you to reap. You've got all eternity to sing songs. You've got all eternity to, to have fun. You've got one little window. Reach those people. Church, it's harvest time. The harvest is plentiful. And it's present, according to Jesus. It's right here and right now. And friends, my goal today has simply been this, to deal with the heart behind investing your life energy into reaching lost people. There's a huge payoff for you. There's a huge payoff for other people. If our hearts will be right, then I give you the tools, and you will use those tools, and we will see a harvest of souls in our families, and in our community. Listen. And I asked the prayer team beforehand to pray with me before church because I said I'm going I'm to close with something very straightforward. You say, Mark, you're always straightforward. This is more straightforward. If you find your heart being cold to what I'm talking about today, then I challenge you today to turn to God and ask him why. And in my conclusion, there could only be two reasons why your heart could be cold towards being compelled by the Lord to being sent into the harvest field and reaping, which is an awesome blessing. It brings you great joy. It rescues other people. I can't understand why we wouldn't to, but why could somebody possibly hear this, turn off their ears and go, yeah, that's not for me. I really don't care. Or I don't want to hear this. The whole time you've been listening, you don't really have your fingers in your ears, but you're saying, just shut up, Larson, and get done. How could that be possible? How could anybody be cold to this message? If we turn to God and we ask him why, I think there's only two possible reasons why. The first one is this, that a person is not genuinely born again. There's a term that's being thrown around in the church world today and and kind of new writings coming out. And I always wondered when somebody would coin a term about something like this because I've been talking about it for years because of something because of my history. But the new term that's being put in literature today is called unconverted evangelicals. You know what an evangelical is? Let me explain a little bit to you. A lot of you, like me, were raised in churches that we called mainline churches. A mainline church, I'm not saying they're bad, I'm just saying a mainline church is a designation. A mainline church would be your Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Old churches that have been around for a long time. And a lot of you, like me, were raised in those churches. And because organizations, not because God's message, organizations tend to drift from what their original purpose was, that those, some, a lot of those began to drift. I'm not saying there's not some real genuine believers in those places. There are, but there's a whole bunch of people in those places that are just like I was. That they baptized me, they confirmed me, I went to church all the time, and I didn't know anything about being born again in Jesus. I memorized Bible verses, I did it all. You know, I sang in the choir as a boy. I begged my parents to take us to church when we decided to buy a cottage out in central Wisconsin instead of the, and going to the cottage every single weekend. So can't we go to church? 
I didn't know anything about I didn't know Jesus, but I longed to know Jesus. Well, those churches, those old line churches are called mainline churches. A lot of us got saved, we'd say this, got saved out of them. In other words, we attended and somebody told us a real gospel message and we go, wow, wait a minute, I never heard that my whole life. And we gravitated over to a church that are called evangelical churches. The Assemblies of God, the Four Square, Baptist, Alliance Church, Open Door, Freedens, Cornerstone, all the churches, all those churches in our area that really preach a strong born-again message. And the term for those is evangelical. You know why it's evangelical? What word's in there? Evangelize. We believe that people must be born again, and we tell them, you've got to come to Jesus, evangelical. Well, evangelical church, we've been around for a while now. And now there's a term that's being written in a lot of places that I'm starting to see. So I'm calling this a new, a new designation, unconverted evangelicals. What I've been hollering to our leadership for a long time is I say, listen, guys, we're becoming what I got saved out of. I'll say, you guys don't understand it because you've been in it your whole life, but I was, right, I was over here going to church and not knowing Jesus, and now I'm seeing our whole, a lot of our organizations becoming what I, what I had that didn't give me Jesus. Can we please get back to what we, what we, where, we, where we started, being evangelical? So the new term out there is, is unconverted evangelicals. In other words, they go to great churches, they sing great songs, they watch cool dramas, they got nice video projections, and they have, they have all the cool stuff, and people go to youth group and all that stuff, but they've never really been born again. One of the reasons that you can have an issue where we could talk about reaching lost souls, and it doesn't burn in your heart and doesn't make you stay awake at night, is because you've never really been born again. Now, I don't say that with one ounce of, of, of arrogance or meanness. I say with nothing but compassion. And say, if you're in a seat that I was for, for the first 19 years of my life, where you sat there and you heard the messages and you said, there's got to be more, have you really given your life to Jesus? When I'd go to those churches and preach, I went to, to other churches that were evangelical, and, and, and somebody always gets saved. And they'd been there for, they'd been there for years. And so the one reason it wouldn't burn in your soul is because you've never experienced the glory of becoming a child of God. And so you go, well, you know, I just, you know, it's just about going to church. It's not about going to church. Matter of fact, when you're really born again, I can't keep your butt out of the seat in church. When I've got to beg people to be in church, it asks me, begs the question, are you even really born again? If you don't care about lost souls, are you even really born again? And so I say with a heart of compassion today, ask yourself, the Bible says one day we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these wonderful religious things in your name? I cast out demons. I did all this stuff. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. He said, I never knew you. You weren't, you weren't my child. You weren't born again. And so the one reason your heart would not just resonate with wanting to reach lost people is that you're never born again. The only other reason I can come up with why a person's heart wouldn't resonate with reaching lost people is that you have forgotten you are born again, you were born again, but a person has forgotten that Jesus is supposed to be their first love. The term for that in the scripture is called being backslidden. The church world used to throw that term out all the time. You know? Now I know I'm being really straightforward today, but it's because I love you. The other one could be, your, it's called being backslidden. There was a day you really asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. But all the stuff of the world, all the duties as a parent, all the obligations as an employee or as a business owner, all the stuff as a spouse, all the stuff as a student has occupied your life. And where one day, at one time Jesus was at the, on the throne of your life, 
But today he's kind of off in a corner over here. Yeah, you still go to church sometimes and you give a tip in the offering and, and you, you, know, you maybe volunteer once every two months for this one thing because I don't want to make anything really cramp my style and commit to anything in the church world. And if you're really honest about your life, you look at your calendar and your checkbook, you realize Jesus is not number one. Where at one time he was. The word that the Bible or that the, that the church world uses is backslidden. It's the message that Jesus talked to the church of Laodicea about. When he says, you think everything's good. You're rich and you're well-fed and you're in need of nothing. That's what you think? It's a message to North Shore Nancy. Seriously. Maybe to all of America. But he says, really, you're wretched and you're naked and you're poor. Jesus sees the truth. Now, he doesn't say that because he's mean. Matter of fact, in Revelation, the story that we talk about, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who comes, hears my knock and opens the door, I'll come and sup with them. People use that as an evangelism tool. Welcome Jesus into your life. He's knocking your heart. That's not what it's about. It's about church people who have drifted from their first love and he's standing at your door, and today what I'm hoping for some of us is you hear God, not me, God, knocking at the door. And he goes, I've been standing here for a long time trying to call you to come to me, but you've drifted so far away. Can you even hear the faintest sound of my knock anymore? And all he says is, if that's you, return. Return to Jesus. Either one of these situations, being an unconverted evangelical or not even knowing Jesus, not being saved, um, or being backslidden, either one simply requires you to call out to Jesus for forgiveness and restoration. And church, we can do that today. We, should, we can do that every, any day. When he shows us that we're not where we belong, we call out, cry out to God and we ask him to come and to, to rescue us. Remember we said this? There's none righteous and even our good works are filthy rags. He goes, Mark, you can't earn it, buddy. Work and try. Give up. It doesn't work. He says, it's a gift. Come and receive my forgiveness. But then he grabs a hold of us and he says, now walk with me. Stay here. Abide with me. And he looks like the lady, the woman caught in adultery. He says, now just go and sin no more. He says, get your life on track now. So if your heart's not been stirred today, not by my presentation because I'm, who knows, Give it a rate from an F to an A. Maybe you say it's a C or a D minus. I don't know. I don't know. But if your heart's not been stirred, it's been the word of God, then ask yourself, am I an unconverted evangelical if I've never been saved at all, or am I backslidden? But if you have found your heart stirred today, and you say, I want to roll up my sleeves, I want to get involved, over the next few weeks, I'm going to do my best to give you some tools that I have found work. Give you some tools that will help you to be more effective harvesters. Come with a notebook in hand and your Bible on your lap and say, I want to learn because I want to be engaged in the harvest. Because God has something good in store for us as we do that. And good in store for people who are going to be rescued. Because of these four weeks, we're going to spend four weeks on this, because of these four weeks, people, some people are not going to go to hell because we're going to get engaged in the harvest. And we're going to stay engaged in the harvest. Why don't you stand with me this morning?
I know I preached a super long message today and uh, very forthright. But I'm telling you, friends, God has something awesome in store for us. If we'll just follow His lead. I feel it in my spirit. If we'll just follow His lead, the harvest is present and plentiful and He wants to use us to bring it in. So pray with me this morning. God, we open up our hearts to you. Lord, we want to be honest before you today. We don't want a a hint of empty religiosity to keep us from receiving whatever we could have in you. We don't want our pride that might got stepped on today to keep us from moving forward. Lord, we want to be used of you. Lord, we want to be part of what you're doing. We want to open up our eyes. We, we do this, God. You told us, you said, lift up your eyes. As we lift up our eyes, give us spiritual insight to see people around us who are lost. And then, Lord, help us to be wise. Give us, help us to employ some tools that will help us to really be effective at helping people understand that they need a Savior. Now, God, one of the things we know that's really effective is to simply bring people we know who aren't saved into a setting like this where the sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit is very real and the truth of the gospel is just presented plainly. And as we're here in this place, church, this idea that you must have a Savior has been presented you say, you know what, Pastor Mark? I've never really made Jesus the Savior of my world. I'm the Lord of my own life, and I've never known anything else. I've never even heard that He could be, that He'd want to be the Lord of my life. But something's stirring inside of me today and saying, this is what I've been looking for. If that's you today, that's stirring in your heart, The Bible says that's the Holy Spirit. And He's speaking to you. Maybe you've been in this church for for 20 years, or maybe it's your first time here, but the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you today. Don't put your fingers in your ears. Listen to what He's saying. What He tells us is that He loves us. And He wants to call us like He called that lady at the well and say, I want to give you eternal life living water and the way I'll give you eternal life living water change your life forever is you recognize that you're lost in sin and you can't do anything about it but Jesus came to this earth he gave his life in your place there's a guilty sentence put upon every man and woman and child in this world because of sin but Jesus said I'll take that guilty and put it on my back and I'll I'll pay the price I'll die in the cross in their place I'll die in their place. And then he calls out to everybody, he said, I've died for you. Now you receive me. Receive forgiveness of me and make me your Savior. Receive me as your Savior, me as the leader of your life. You're hearing that call to do that today. I want you to do something between me, you, and God. No one else is looking around you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I want you to do something right now. I want you to raise up your hand. I'm going to tell you to put it down, okay? Put it down when you're done. We're going to pray in a minute. 
They say, I want to receive Christ as my Savior and my Lord today. Let's give you one moment. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not trying to coerce you. Okay, anybody else? A couple of hands going up around this place. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I invite you to all our whole congregation is going to pray a prayer this morning. Those of you who raised your hand, I want you just to join in and pray this. There's nothing special about the words. Pray this from your heart. Even if you didn't raise your hand, raising the hand's nothing. I just want to see that there's people saying this is for me. Pray with us. Pray this way. Dear Jesus, I need you. And I ask you today to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. On this day, I give my life to you. And from this day forward, I want to follow you as my leader. So receive me as your child. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit so that I have the power to live the life you've called me to live. And on this day, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer today, I simply make this offer to you. We as a church are here to help people grow in their, in their faith. If you're from the area, you're welcome to become part of the ministries that we have so that we can help you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. As we close today, the worship team is going to be playing. And I just invite you, if God stirred your heart today, that maybe there's some people on your heart that you know don't know Jesus and you want to spend a few minutes praying for them today. Saying, God, this is the people you, I, I know you have me in their life for a reason. You want to spend some time praying that, that God will begin to work and stir in their heart. But also maybe you're here today and you felt very con- concerned or convicted that, you know what, I'm backslidden. I'm far from God. You know what? That's between you and God. You don't get it right. That's between you and God. He'll deal with it. But if you do turn to Him, He loves it. He he runs to meet you. And you need to spend some time praying. So as the worship team prays, I just invite you to come and find a place at the altar in prayer. If you need prayer over your life today because of illness, you want to be anointed with oil and prayed for, I'm here to pray with you. But when you're done, just quietly make your way out of the out of the auditorium so that people can pray. God bless you, friends. Go with God. Let's pray.